Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. It's not race week unless you're Helmut Marco. Then every week is race week. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. This week we'll talk about the Marco Madness. We'll talk about the Andretti Maze and the Norris Paradox. We'll also ponder on the miracle of the cost cap and we'll take your questions on this baking hot edition of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. That's not a flexi wing. This is a flexi wing. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, there, There is more to come on this flexi wing stuff. I was a bit disappointed that it didn't all come to light in Monza, but basically every team is playing flexi wing chicken. Pretty much. And with a few clues, it's going to be fun because the um, new regulations or technical directive, technically they're not regulations, will come into play at Singapore. So we could have some interesting surprises or not because it's Singapore. That would be fun. We've also got had a, a listener question from Flip Phillips who says that he would like a, a, a tyre mention trigger warning because he was not prepared. He was in his boat. He had his flask filled for emergency use in the boat. But uh, had he known ahead of time, he could have filled it with whiskey and then he would have been prepared for the shock of you mentioning tyres yet again. So what he's asking for is, could we have a trigger warning for shots or you never mention tyres ever again? Or perhaps you yourself have to drink whenever tyres are mentioned, which which I think is already happening. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I think we're safe. I think we're safe. We're also joined in the shed by sim racer extraordinaire and streamer Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? I'm very well, thank you. I've been a little bit disappointed where, well, there has been drama, but I was disappointed there was no cost cap drama. It was all, it all there was all little rumblings and then it all came to nothing. I know. So I think the number one most 
most goodest drama that we could have had would have been Mercedes also breaking the cost cap because then I would have had to decide whether to stick to my principles or flip-flop. Spoiler, I was going to flip-flop and say it's fine and the cost cap doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, obviously, if Red Bull had done it again, which I was expecting, that I was expecting they would have done, then yeah, it would have all kicked off. So yeah, a little bit, aww, when none of that drama came to pass. Yeah, all us wannabe accountants um, were disappointed in the end. But I, I see we had some discussions and uh, some interesting little tidbits did still come out of it. And from long form to scrolly, scrolly media, we've got TikTok star Christina Mace. How's it going, Christina? I'm okay. I made a tactical error in calculating my time zones because I said yes to doing this podcast at the same time as there's an IndyCar race. So I feel happy. I feel great. Uh, well, I'm sorry to make you miss IndyCar, but I, I I feel like I should watch more IndyCar and I'm I'm always nagging myself to. So can I get like a nag from you in the new season to be like, Spanners, watch some IndyCar because it feels like it's the kind of series that has the things that everyone asks for from F1. So it's like, it's not like a careful what you wish for, but it's like, of the things you ask for in F1, they already exist in IndyCar. So just see if you like IndyCar. Absolutely. It's it's true. IndyCar has a lot to offer. It's really, really fun. And more people just should watch it. And I'm happy to nag you, Spanners. It seems like a fun job. (laughs) Yeah, people, people never seem unhappy nagging me. Let's get on to the big dirty news. Dirty news. Okay, where do we start? Well, let's start with that cost cap news that Scott mentioned there. So the FIA has found that all 10 teams are in compliance with the cost cap, which is very disappointing and very boring, especially as there was rumours that several teams had faced extra investigation into their financial affairs. So it does open up on one level you could say well there you go nothing more more to talk about or you could kind of say well how how is that because red bull exceeded the cost cap in 2021 and they didn't find out till late 2022 so they must have been doing broadly the same things as they were doing in 2021 when they were initially found to be was it five and a half million over and then the tax rebate stuff came in and uh, and brought that down to 400,000 over. So it's quite lucky, isn't it, Scott, that that they managed to almost accidentally stay within the cost cap for 2022? Well, they obviously cut down on all the prawn sandwiches they were having. Um, it's I, I think part of the reason that they've probably passed it, or they have passed it, is they are so far ahead of every other team that even though there's a carryover from the previous year's cost cap, so 2021 to 2022, I think they probably haven't had to put as much development into the following year um, or as much money um, to say. So they probably was able to get much more of a tighter budget um, and get on top of their costs and also maybe not play around with some certain tax rebates as much as what they did in 2021 where they were pushing to regain the title. Um, it was quite evident from early on in 2022 that they were quite above the rest, um, other than the first couple of engine blowouts. And But it, it was quite evident that Ferrari weren't going to keep up. Mercedes had a terrible car. And yeah. probably four months into the season, they were like, yeah, we can we can get on top of our accounts compared and not be as spend happy as what we were the previous year. 
But yeah, disappointing nonetheless, but no one, um, least of all, of course, Red Bull, <laughs> um, didn't um, break the cost cap. Yeah, it would have been spicier. But hey, look, at least we can kind of put that to bed, Matt, because it's looked clumsy. So from the FIA point of view, it's a victory that all 10 teams stayed within the cost cap because, my goodness, would that have been a uh, an arrow to the knee that the FIA didn't need? Yeah, not, not just the FIA, but the teams themselves. If you look at the amount of negative publicity that Red Bull is still dealing with two years or, you know, two years after the offense occurred and a year after it was announced, I don't think any team really completely wants to go through that. However, having said that, every team would like to get as close as possible to having to go through it without actually going through it. And I'm sure that as the teams find out what the other teams have been up to through the usual surreptitious paddock mice, uh, we will hear stories of um, rules being... (laughs) artfully applied well we've got one haven't we profits and and <laughs> and and costs and so on and so forth well we've got one from joe sayward and you should always read joe sayward's a uh, green notebook and he True. he talks about a ruse that one team has employed no team has been mentioned in his article but uncle joe will be here doing a podcast on tuesday and then the following tuesday for those of you who like attending his live audiences it's 50 of you on zoom um he's going to be doing one at 3 a.m his time from Singapore the following Tuesday as well. Tickets will be available soon. But Joe states there's a ruse where one team uh, has uh, a government that allows them to get tax breaks for highly skilled workers. So if they have a highly skilled worker, that worker is not paying any tax. Therefore, they can pay a lower wage. The, the, the worker takes home more money. And so you have to go, well, that, that scheme's not available in Britain. So it's probably you know one of the top teams that is close to the cost cap, but doesn't reside in the UK. So you'd have to go, that's Ferrari. So Ferrari have got this epic foreign worker tax break, and uh, but they didn't take too much advantage of it. I, I think the bottom line is this isn't a scandal because it's Ferrari and no one cares. Uh, that's certainly possibly the case. Uh, other, other, outside the, other outside teams would be um, Sauber and Alpha Tauri, I believe. And yeah, you're right. If you look at the rules, the rules are all about getting government income for these workers. But in this case, if those workers were getting a tax break, which effectively meant that if I pay them $50,000, they're getting the equivalent of 75000 because they don't owe the nation any tax. Well, then if you just pay them less, then you're just paying them less. That's absolutely yeah. fair game under these rules. Having said that, I do want to say, yeah, they're not perfect, these rules. They're still evolving. FIA is still learning how to uh, apply them. The teams are still learning how to work with the FIA to sort of minimize the workload and get through it. So everybody's roughly. But I think in the larger picture, they're working. They're not perfect, but they're better than nothing, especially if you look at team valuations these days. What I'm genuinely surprised at, though, is that the... The leniency, in my opinion, of the penalty that Red Bull received for breaking the cost cap 2021, that no other team took the approach of, well, if that's all we're going to get yeah. for breaking the cost cap, why why don't we do it as well? The only other thing I can think of that might have deterred them from it is that they are so far behind Red Bull in regards to performance that that, that lack of wind tunnel time would probably affect them more than Red Bull, who have already got a considerable advantage but Mm. 
it's I'm surprised there wasn't an Aston Martin or a Ferrari who who really, really have been pushing for the last few years to, to get up to the top. Um, fair play to them for staying within the cost cap, but I'm sure, yeah, as you say, there's some um, accountancy wiz- wizardry <laughs> that has gone I, on ooh. in regards to making sure they're within the rules. I imagine that the FIA had a round table with the team principals at some point saying, look, this is the Red Bull punishment. Please don't think you can all now just spend half a million more because we'll, we'll take a, a harder line now that kind of, Red Bull have Red Bull has used everyone's mulligan is my suspicion on that. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think, you know, you mentioned other teams. The team that I was really most convinced would, would get would have the greatest probability of being in trouble would be Aston. And that's because of the number of categories in which they misfiled things in the previous cost cap. They got a slap on the wrist, but it wasn't an actual violation. They weren't over in terms of their spending, in terms of that accounting. But they made many, many quote-unquote mistakes. And um, also worth pointing out that all of these teams, or all these teams that want to be top teams, now have these technology centers. And there was a, I don't know, a clarification early on in the season that, no, in fact, you cannot get things for free. (laughs) Clarification, is it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you can't get intellectual property from these technology centers for free. Mm. If you're using their property, you have to have a line in your budget that says we paid for this. They can still get your stuff for free. It can go that way. So like Williams taking, uh, you know, working on refrigeration or selling cars to uh, bus companies, that's fine. But if you're taking research back from them and applying it to your car, then you do have to pay for it. And I was pretty convinced at the time it was going to make life difficult for some teams when the cost cap uh, evaluations finally came out. And sadly, or perhaps not, that's not the case. I think the FIA got their house in order and they realized how damaging it was to to the sport. And I imagine a lot of conversations went on towards the end of 2022 to make sure this wouldn't happen um, again. And like I said, they, they've been seen to take a very harsh line We've pulled open the drawers at Red Bull and Mercedes and we've gone through this with a fine tooth comb. Uh, We've laid down the law and made sure nothing's happened. But my suspicion would be, even if it was Aston Martin, even if it was Mercedes, there's no way the FIA want to drag that whole circus up again. So it was relatively, with hindsight, predictable that there would be no cost cap violations. Whilst we're, we're on Red Bull, whilst we're here, I mean, we may as well touch upon the Red Bull representative, Matt. Helmut Marco. what is his relationship with, with Red Bull? Because, and I will say this with clarity, because it's, it's risky, isn't it? It's risky saying, oh, such and such did a racism and the thing they said was racist or bad. So to be clear, Helmut Marco said stuff that was racist and bad in a long series of Helmut Marco saying stuff that was racist and bad and he seems to not really, it's not like he has been called on it and gone, oh, no, I can't, oh, I can't believe it. I did a, I, that was just such a mistake. This was a no-brainer. He's consistently saying stuff like this. And in fact, he went out of his way to clarify at one point. He said, Sergio Perez is uh, inconsistent because he's Mexican and Mexicans are inconsistent. And then he was called on it. He was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. What I meant was... Because he's Mexican, he thinks differently to like Dutch people and is therefore inconsistent. No, Helmut, that has not made it 
That's not made it any better. That's not made it any better at all. And then finally, the PR department at Red Bull had to get involved and go, I am Helmut Marco. I'm definitely Helmut Marco writing this, and I'm super duper sorry for saying that it was because um, he's Mexican. But look, Christina, there's no getting around this, is it? He's the, he is he's someone who has aired racist views out loud. Well, yeah, like it doesn't surprise me at all. Like when I was scrolling through my tweets at you know six a.m. like one does when one oh, has a course, cat, yeah. and that's life. <laughs> I was scrolling through and it was like, oh, Helmet said something racist again. Okay. And I just kept scrolling because I was like, this is not news. It's not he unusual. He is racist. And we just let people continue. We, we just keep letting him do the thing. Like the shocking part at this point isn't that he is racist. It's that he should have, his microphone should have been taken away f- like five or six comments ago. And but, Red Bull didn't do that. But it's the opposite. And now it's, it's like, the opposite. Okay, there has been not even a massive increase in the amount of Helmut Marco quotes. There's been a flood mm-hmm. of Marco quotes this year. It's exactly at this point. It's not even enough to just say, okay, he's no longer going to be speaking for the team. It's literally okay. It is so bad that you guys probably should be retiring him. And the fact that you're not even Helmut made a comment. Yes, he made a statement saying, "Yep, whoops, well, whoops," but Red Bull haven't. And that's also equally as damning. Like, you are okay with this. By saying nothing, you're saying that it's okay for him to be racist, which that's not a good look either. And that's my point to you, Matt, was what is his relationship with Red Bull? So, you know, the the PR statement came out. I don't think he's come on camera and said... Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Someone has gone like, well, this is this is it. Wow. We, we were discussing what happens in the Red Bull PR department, you know, these days. Does a does a flashing light go off? Is there like a Marco red light that goes off? Uh, he is representing Red Bull, and to to a lot of people in the wider world, he's representing Formula One. So, at what point is he bringing the sport or his team into disrepute? I mean, it would be very easy to argue right now he is bringing the sport into disrepute by saying things like this. I think the problem for Red Bull, and specifically for people who are fans of the Red Bull Formula One team, this being a very tiny distinction I'm about to draw here, is that Marco does not work for the Red Bull Formula One team. He works for Red Bull, the corporation, and he's employed as a consultant, as a motorsport consultant. So he's not employed by. So Christian Horner can't say, Marco, just no, no. Give me (laughs) that microphone right now. Stop going on Austrian or Dutch TV or wherever he said this thing. But I also think that a big nightmare for the Red Bull PR people, the Formula One team, who are obviously going to have to be the ones cleaning it up because it makes them look really, really bad for a variety of different reasons we can also get into later, is that. That now you can say something in your Austrian TV program that all Austrians will be like, oh, ha ha, and might even not translate to English quite the way we would think, although I'm not defending what he said by any stretch of the imagination. And someone will translate it and put it out there. And the next thing you know, you've got an international incident. And the last and biggest problem is essentially what I'm going to call part of the reason he's tolerated is what I like to call the grandpa card. Okay. He's just so, I mean, like everybody has that grandpa who says occasionally, you know, disturbing things, but then you're like, well, he's 90 bazillion years old and oh, how like, much can I care about this anyway? Like you, you with, like, yeah, like you with Ocon. Like me with Ocon. Exactly. Which thank you for bringing that up because now I have a 37 minute diatribe about No, it. no. move on. 
But the other problem for the PR department is it's going to be like, okay, well, Grandpa, next time you want to program the VCR, do not use the cat to do it. Because he's got no, he's so set in his ways, they're going to have a hard time yeah. reprogramming him. If, if, if you catch my drift. Doesn't make what he did better, but I feel for the Red, B Red Bull PR people who have to clean up his messes constantly. Stuffy. The, the person I feel most sorry for in all of this is Sergio Perez. Uh, yeah, Marco, good point. He's, he's come out in the last couple of months having a go at Perez and Tequila making the comments. Usual, the usual Helmut Marco comments of digging someone out because of their results. And obviously, he goes a bit overboard in the way that he does it. And this is just like, over that line and like how must Sergio and his family be feeling about your own boss in an essence I know he doesn't work for Red Bull but he's a very influential person within that team and that corporation you can't deny that and in effect your boss is making racist comments about you and been digging you out um people would say fairly in regards to his performances but it's I still believe there's more to it than just just that but so publicly and this is just a line that you don't cross and this is the type of thing that if you was in a corporation in a business you'd be going straight to hr or yeah. to the police and reporting them for nelson pk made comments in the public about lewis hamilton got a fine from the brazilian gov government and someone was joking that pk was going to take right. over for marco yeah well hang right. on it's just, as well so it's, scott scott oh. like those comments i have to say as well were were, were sort of dampened down as well by by Helmut Marco, who goes, wow, those comments have been sort of dragged up at a convenient time for kind of political gain. No, they've been dragged up because they're awful. Yeah, it's exactly. the, as Matt says, it's the old man's gang. And it's like, because people are from a different time, they, that they're given a bit of a leeway. There's certain comments, yeah, you go, okay, you're from a different time, but there's right. a line. And <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is that line. And if I was, so, I can only imagine what Sergio Perez is thinking about. He's already given hints that he's looking at other teams now. And I don't, Blame no. him. Why would you want to work for someone like that? Fair enough. Christina? Um, two points. One, I would say when we give the old people the excuse of, oh, well, this is not their time. It's like, I'm sorry, were they hibernating while all of this social change was happening? No, they just chose to stand still while everything around them was changing. So that's on them for not choosing to move with the flow. The second thing is that Red Bull really do need to get rid of Helmet because they are so dependent right now on the Mexican market. The amount of money in merch and sales that Sergio Perez brings in, I think I saw Vamos. recently that his promo for the Red Bull drink is like the largest chunk or a very big chunk of where the Red Bull sales are. So they really mm. can't afford to piss off that community. Like it's not just a moral issue because obviously the morality of it isn't what's going to get them to have action. That moment has passed. But there's also the economic argument of, really? This, <laughs> yes. is, this is the people that you want also, to get pissed off at you? Yeah. Have you seen the comments on every FIA post? The, the Mexicans, even if Marco's right about the tequila and the inconsistency, they sure do return in numbers. And I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of the, the Mexican fan base. Um, just let's get Matt and then Stuffy and, and we'll move on from this. Yeah. I mean, I think two points I want to make. One real quick. Dietrich Mattis shits is dead as a doornail and no longer in charge of this company. So Marco's grace that had formerly been shown to him by Red Bull might now be in much shorter supply as they are becoming more of a corporate, corporate entity. 
Whereas before, Mattachet's always called the shots and Marco could say a thing and he would just tell them to go clean it up and protect him and wait till it all blew over so that he could continue having him around. That may not be the case anymore. But the thing that I really, really, really want to correct and the thing that was just galling to me as an American more than anything else is the fact that Marco got his geography wrong. Oh, people yes. bash us all the time for being terrible at geography. Everybody listening, Mexico is part of North America. It is not part of South America. Please right, do not make okay. this mistake. All right. Where's Canada, Christina? Because I don't want to get that wrong. That's like the North Pole, right? Yes. Yes, we, I knew that. We have Santa Claus in That's... our... <laughs> In our, in our postal area. That's where the elves are from. <laughs> Very quickly, last one, Scott, yes. from you on this. Yeah, just wanted to add on your point in regards to the comments. It's been, in regards to this backlash against the comments he made, it's been very good to see the F1 community yes. as a whole yeah, come together yeah. and basically just condemn and disagree with what he's saying and asking for action. Um, there, there are times when there are kind of... Um, Right, where people come together to kind of vilify people for, for wrong reasons, but this mm. is the right reason. Like you can't. This isn't his first time. I'm sure it won't be his last if he's if he's let go with it. And it's been nice to see the community come together to uh, to condemn mm-hmm. something that we don't want part of our sport. And, and... Yes, well said, young Scott and uh, and young Christina, and not so young Matthew. So, getting on to some more sporting matters, I have been very, very clear with you people, you people listening to the sound of my voice, that I don't like the franchise model, but I saw it coming. I saw it coming from a mile off once F one was taken over by America Land, North North America Land. I must get my geography correct to not face Matt scorn. But the American sports aren't quite like our European sports. There doesn't seem to be the same open pyramid that that we sort of enjoy for, say, soccer, where, you know, a team like Wrexham in the fifth tier can make their way up to the Premier League. You can literally start your own football team in a park, play in the 10th tier of English football, and if you gain enough momentum... You can not only rise to the top league eventually if if you keep winning, but you can enter an open competition. You can enter the Football Association Cup. And if you keep winning, you'll go eventually in that knockout tournament and be in a draw with the likes of Manchester United and, and Newcastle and Everton. So it, it's open, whereas US sports aren't like that. You have to be part of a franchise in order to take part of in that sport. So in, in basketball, NFL, baseball, there are garages there are franchises there are teams and entries that are in a closed loop they can't get relegated they can't get promoted and i did wonder if liberty media coming into f1 spelt the end of privateer teams coming in you know that we all know the romance from the rush movie of hesketh in the f2 team going ah i've got a few extra million quid lying around i'll build a race car for james hunt and let's have a go and try and beat nicky louder I think those days in F1 are, are well and truly gone now. And I and I did wonder if this would be the end of additional teams at the grid. And I, I thought never again will we see the likes of, of Caterham, Minardi and such like, and Marussia joining the back of the grid, making a go, just scraping the pennies together, doing anything they can to get on the back of the grid, bringing talented drivers, bringing a team of, of fresh 
or, or aging mechanics, a combination of youth and experience to just try and get four wheels on the tarmac and just see where they can go from there. Those days do seem to be gone. And the application of Andretti, to me, is proving that the FIA harks back to the old times where they would love to approve a team to come and join the grid. But FOM, Liberty Media, the rights commercial rights holder, does not want that to happen because they're going for that franchise model. So the team in question at the moment with the best bid to join F1, Christina, is Andretti. Do we want, do you want, do you want Andretti in Formula One? And how do you rate their chances? Yes, Andretti should be a part of Formula One. At, at the end of the day, making excuses for not allowing someone like Andretti to join the grid, it, it kind of just makes the other Formula One teams look a little silly and almost delusional. Because them saying that, oh, Andretti might not be able to handle and might not bring something to the sport, it's like, okay, let's be real here. Andretti is motorsport royalty in the States. And you want to capitalize on the American yes. market. And yet you don't want to have this American team. And yes, they have Haas. But Haas has oh. been given many chances to be that flagship American team and have stumbled the ball. At the end of the day, they're kind of just missing a huge opportunity. And yes, they're trying to capitalize on having Vegas and Miami and Coda. But realistically, people can't afford to go to those races. But can people afford to buy an Andretti shirt? Heck, a lot of American motorsport fans probably already own an Andretti shirt and are happy to cheer for the team. This is them just fumbling the ball at the end of the day. It's not a privateer team, even. It's Andretti. They have money and resources. I'll push back slightly because isn't that the definition of a privateer team is a guy with money. But yeah, so so I think a lot of time we, we have that definition between works team. So like a car manufacturer versus a privateer, which might not be the most useful cut and dried yeah. definition. But you're right. There's a racing heritage. They're already, already racing at the top level of motorsport, Christina. So the argument to keep them out from a racing point of view as like an unserious team, that, that argument doesn't exist. Pretty much, yeah. Scott? It's- yeah, the point I just wanted to add on is that we're in a different era of F1 now. We're in the cost cap era. The The whole idea of or this bygone era of where teams coming in would never be able to make it to the front because they could never cope with the spending power that the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull had of three, four, five hundred million. We're in a different era now where a team could join, operate at the top of the cost cap, bring a pretty decent package, and then quickly be work their way up the field i think we're already seeing the effects of that cost cap era with the likes of williams and okay mclaren are kind of a lot more money to spend i reckon than, than williams but we start to see teams that have been so far down the pack start to make their way forward and i think that's in part due to the cost cap era because the top teams aren't able to bring brand new cars every weekend or every other weekend and a new team coming in like christina said with a name like Andretti, who apparently has secured a, an engine package with Cadillac, who's also got a motorsport pedigree, currently competing in the Mans. Like, it seems to be that every bit of information I've seen about Andretti, they warrant a fair opportunity. But we've now got a cabal of F1 teams, even Haas, Gunther Steiner. going, Ooh. Yeah, because these teams are now corporations. They are earning so much money per year. Um, more so than what they're probably spending. Um, and the top teams, in an essence, don't want someone to come in and upset the apple cart. And a name like Andretti, 
has potential for that to happen. Was that a champagne cork popping in the background there, Scott? Is there cele- was. celebrations was... going on? Probably a picture frame falling off the new <laughs> flat wall. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt is sitting here in our Patreon Slack chat. Hello, patrons. Thank you for supporting us at patreon.com forward slash mistakebags. Matt's saying, why am I avoiding going to him? Because I know there's a, a point of contention and, and disagreement here between us. Um, and that's about whether the Andretti bid will, will succeed or fail. I think it's going to fail. Matt thinks it's going to succeed. Just before we get to that, uh, with Scott and Christina, ideally, how many teams would you open the grid up to? Let's start with you, Christina. Is it right where it is, or do we need 100 teams? 12 teams. 12 I'd be very teams. happy with 12 teams. I was re-watching... I fall asleep to old F1 races. The is cars it? Are <laughs> and I was re-watching one of the older... Not even older, but, you know, 10, 15 years ago races. Um, race weekends seasons words i need more coffee but they had 12 teams yes and it was a joy to watch and already they're being like oh well we're gonna make the cars smaller so you can't even make the argument of oh there's no room on the grid and teams making the argument of oh well we barely have enough room in the pit lane it's like you we guys just had recently yeah have been racing with 12 teams Re- recently well, enough that you really can't make that argument so it was 13 in that era they added three new teams at this oh, at the same yes. time um, so it was Caterham, Marussia, and Virgin. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So basically they said, no. right, they... No. no, 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 HRT. HRT, Caterham, and Marussia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it was Virgin. Virgin, then Marussia. Yeah. That's why I'm getting confused. But those teams were brought in on the promise that there was going to be a cost cap, and therefore they would be able to be competitive. Hoodwinked by Bernie was how I was going to put it. Yeah, and then Caterham was the first to fall out of those three, I think. HRT. Was it HRT? Yeah. And then the other two went in the same season. But yeah, so where you would have picked up was after HRT went out. But yeah, there was a full grid. Is that your cat in the background? There's corks popping and there's cats in the background. Um, Chaos! So in very recent history, F1 has been able to handle 13 cars on the grid, Scott. And so, you know... Yeah, they didn't have to scramble around going, oh, no, where are we going to find paint for the extra grid positions? Yeah, I I still think 12. I agree with Christina. Um, I think you also have to think about the TV coverage. If you watch the TV coverage, they struggle to cover a lot of action as it is anyway. And if they're with the cost cap era, if it works perfectly or near enough as it's supposed to and bunch the teams closer together, I think 12 is uh, a suitable number. As soon as you, as soon as you go more than that, all right, um, in my counter. experience in sim racing, it becomes way too much. So. I've got a, ca- a slight counter to that, though, where I've commentated on karting series, and this lad came up to me and he goes, oh, I never make it onto the coverage or the karting. I'm like, yeah, mate, you need to get higher, higher up the grids, and then we'll care. And he went, right. And then, to be fair, the, the, the next season he was higher up the grid. And I said, see? I'm talking about you now. I'm talking about you now. You've done better. Um, so, yeah, there is that. You don't have to capture every single moment and incident. And that's one of the things I don't like about there being 10 teams on the grid is actually that every single driver on the grid now has a microscope on them. Like Logan Sargent is suddenly important and we care about his performance and we're talking about his performance. Quite frankly, Logan Sargent's performance this season doesn't really warrant yet anyone talking about him there should be room for people to kind of drive in obscurity and i think that's why the 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 buy-in drivers have irked me a little bit more probably because you know there's more focus on them you know in the olden days you know pedro diniz he would come up 
rarely, wouldn't he? he would, you know, if he, yes, if he, if he had a crash or whatever, they'd mention Pedro Diniz. There'd be the odd segment or interview with him. But now, now that we're focused in on 20 drivers, they're supposed to be superstars. We listen to every single driver's interview, every single race. I, I would say the correct number is 15 teams. Let's have 30 drivers on there. Let's have some teams that we don't even know if they're going to make it to the grid that week, but we don't care. And yeah, maybe they just, oh, we can only field one car this week. That's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. Derek Turnipson, he he's he could he he can make it on the grid, uh, but his brother Philip can't. Uh, so so Turnip Racing is only racing one team this year. That's how the back end of the grid should should be, and then we should only care about them if there's something of note. But here's where me and Matt are going to argue. All right, Andretti's bid is dead in the water because Liberty Media do not want another team in. They've got their franchise model. They don't want. Andretti in because they've got their 10. If Andretti buys Sauber, fine. They don't want an 11th entry. And see, this is what I love. You could have gone with the thing that we actually agree on, which is the wording no. of the clause. <laughs> the wording of the clause is wide enough that you could, you could, for various reasons, legally deny anyone an entry. But where you are uh, sadly mistaken, and I say this as your friend, is in thinking that Liberty has any kind of statutory authority whatsoever to keep anyone off the grid because the sole regulatory body for Formula One is the FIA. And if the FIA say they're on the grid, they are on the grid. Nothing Liberty can do and any public document I've been able to find should keep them off the grid. Now, that doesn't mean, because I'm going to qualify this, doesn't mean there's not practical things they can do to delay it to the point where it's 2026 and they can renegotiate the anti-dilution fee that all the teams now think should be like a billion dollars instead of the 200 million it currently is. But the reality is the FIA can simply say, yep, Andretti's in, and then it's simply a commercial negotiation for Liberty to conclude the reason they don't want them is because the teams have been inserted into the process and they are greedy little toddlers running an ice cream factory that only want ice cream for dinner. Uh, what about the Concord agreement between the teams and how it's broadcast? Can they Andretti not be excluded from that kind of general broadcast and teams agreement? I am so glad you asked me about that, because the answer is we have no clue, because that agreement is entirely private. But what I did do is I went back to the original notice published by the EU by the commission that was dealing with F1 back in 2000. And I found this little sentence, uh, the draft agreement, this is referencing the, what FIA agreed to do rather than have a public hearing into exactly what was going on. The draft agreement provides for the separation of commercial and regulatory functions in relation to Formula One. That would be the draft agreement of the new Concord agreement. It acknowledges FIA is the sole regulator of the championship. So to me, that's, that's done and dusted. If the FIA are the regulatory body, they make the rules, they, they have the final say over everything. If I'm Liberty and the teams are having a mutiny, well, I do have a bit of a problem on my hand because I want to keep the teams happy because we're all making lots of money. But honestly, if I'm Liberty, I'm thinking an extra team is it's grist for the mill for DTS, 
It sets up a brand new narrative of a brand new team. The team is American. It's backed by one of the backed by the largest manufacturer of cars in the United States, General Motors, who all can won't be able to make their own engine, but potentially will come on as an engine manufacturer in the next set of regulations. There's no way I don't want this from a narrative point of view. But mm. I have my current teams to keep yes. happy. Yes, I think, and the, the current teams to keep happy is a, is a big thing. And there's lots of silly shenanigans, like if Liberty Media really wanted to object, they could withhold showing Andretti on TV and absolutely have someone with a little blur patch trying to blur out Andretti and their sponsors. I'm sure it won't get to that that silliness level, but it, to me, it does show that the FIA and FOM aren't singing from the same song sheet and they haven't been for some time now that wording of that eu directive uh, contains a thing that says basically they, they can't prevent the participation of a team unless there is legitimate concerns that their participation would jeopardize fair and orderly proceedings and in my limited knowledge of obliging um, uh, uh, defense contracts that wording can be have a tank driven through it. There's a lot of things that could fit into that that definition. So I would I, say I would say that the Andretti F1 entry is still under quite a lot of jeopardy. I would agree with you about that wording a hundred and ten percent. But to my to my understanding, to the best of my understanding, with all the research I did, with all the documents I found, the only body that's making this final decision is the FIA. And what we hear constantly is that the FIA is set to approve it, but that Liberty and the teams don't want it. So what we're really talking about here is a power struggle. And everything we're seeing from Liberty, everything we're seeing from Stefano right now, I think part of it is just glad handing the teams. Oh, we understand you're upset. So he goes and he says, well, we're going to have to be very careful about letting them in. We don't want to dilute the value. But I'm sure you recall back in the days when we had more than 10 teams, only the top 10 teams actually get money from Formula One. If you're team 11, you get zero. And I'm sure we all remember when Haas joined the first two years in your championship, even if you're seventh, you don't get any money because you're a brand new team for the first two years. As far as I know, neither of those rules have been changed. So even if Andretti join in 25, it's up for negotiation in 26. How many teams get a share, get a cut of the revenue. Right. Yeah. It, it seems that the top teams are changing, well, the teams in general are, are changing the goalposts because initially when there was talk about Andretti joining, wasn't it that it was, it, well, it all comes down to money in the day, uh, F1, but it was the main argument was we don't want there to be a split in the prize money and a split in the, the money that is divvied out. So, they even put, I think it was initially 150 million buy-in. That might have increased now. I think there was talk about the team saying, well, no, we want it to be X amount of money. And I think every single time Andretti and obviously his partners have been able to come back with proof that they would be able to front that money and pay for their buy-in. And it seems to be that Andretti has got all of the answers. There's a credible bid for him to join F1, and it's now just purely politics of the teams don't want him in. Even the smaller teams like Gunther Steiner going, what what value is Andretti really going to bring to this grid? Well, I'd ask what value is Haas bringing to this grid over the last few years? Because Ooh. you haven't really brought much it, as, as a counter argument to him. 
And it's just, uh, it's got too corporate, hasn't mm-hmm. it, again? But it's, um, yeah, there's quite evidently a power struggle <laughs> happening. But I didn't realise, I thought Liberty ultimately had the final say, Matt, but you've obviously explained mm-hmm. that, no, too FIA... Corporate kind of do so I, let, let, let's do some more research into well, that because i think the jury's well, no. slightly out on that i, I don't think I that's would conclusive like if I could, uh, to address that real quick is that okay real quick R- real quick so the reason we all think this is because the flow of decision making has included oh there's so much there's so much i want to tell you because this story actually goes back to 1994 oh my god that's but not I'm real not, quick is it but i'm not going back there now <laughs> I'm not going back there now. Real quick, the way it works is an idea either comes from an advisory committee or uh, from the FIA. It goes to the Formula One Commission, which is made up of the FIA, the teams, and Liberty, who, who vote on it and the rules for voting. Once the voting is passed, if it's approved, then it goes to the FIA, who have the final say as the regulatory authority as to whether the new rule is enacted and so on and so forth. So a lot of people have sort of gotten the idea that Liberty has this say over the the regulations, because if they team up with the FIA, they can outvote the Formula One teams, generally speaking. They Uh have enough votes to do what they want, regardless of what the teams have to say. So a lot of people have this impression, but in terms of the actual rules, rules. always 100%, it's the FIA that's got the final say. Cool. Wasn't sure you were going to land that plane. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. <laughs> All right. Definitely some sorting out there. To, to check we've got some homework to check who has the final say what can fom do let's go to some of the listener questions let's rummage around in the mailbag and let's go to andy no i was looking for one there we go jason who says an interesting but unserious question that's that's fine jason that is definitely within our mo given all the inclement weather that has been at the various race weekends would an indoor grand prix track be something that could be popular and what country would you choose to have it in this assumes you can build a big enough structure and solve for ventilation dirty air noise uh, spectators etc christina we've it's i've never so you're relatively new to f1 i'm not gatekeeping i'm not gatekeeping i'm just saying that in the olden <laughs> in the olden days 
Yeah, and your cat agrees. In the olden days, rain used to be something we celebrated. We'd be like, oh, here we go. It's tasty. There's a bit of rain. Whereas now when there's rain, we're kind of like, oh, no, it's never going to get started. So should should ask the cat, should we have some indoor tracks? Oh, I mean, if we can build it, I think we should. They'll it would come. be a fun, yeah. just different thing. I mean, it gives you more control as well of what you can and can't do. Yeah. Controlled environments are nice. It's safer for fans because you can have shade all over the place. That's the biggest complaint oh. when you go to a race weekend. No one ever has enough shade. You're always at risk for heat stroke. Don't worry about the cat. I'm enjoying the commentary. It's fine. <laughs> oh, but that that's a big thing as well, is fan comfort. And we've seen other series do it as well. Formula E, yes, they're electric cars, so you have different concerns. But mm. London, their E-Pri is 50-50. It's half inside of a building and half outside. And we had the problem this year with the finale of them having to dry the outside part of the track because <laughs> it was still a problem. But you've also seen Race of Champions. They did their race pre-COVID two years, I believe, inside a stadium. Yes. And yes, it wasn't Formula One cars. It was different vehicles, but it was still motorized like combustion engines. So, and at the end of the day, this is Formula One. These are engineering nerds who love nothing yeah. more than a challenge. So give them the, you know, hey, how would you build a building that could handle this? Uh, it's got to be like... Can you imagine the joy on their little faces? Like, I know, yeah. They love that. Oh, they'll be sharpening their pencils as we speak. So obviously, yeah, if you've got a stadium like yeah. an, an oval or like a little oval with an infield, you can do that in a stadium. Um, but you only have to look at Mexico to see how, how a, such a small part of the track is at the stadium and then you've got like four or five miles to contend with. So the scale is clearly different. But actually, yeah, spectator comfort is is massive. The two times I've been to a, a Silverstone Grand Prix, I have baked. I've been baking, baking hot. And they seem to pick like the one day of the British summer that it is boiling to schedule the British Grand Prix. And then the other day I was at Foxhall watching sh- some, um, some short track oval. And again, just baking hot because all the grandstands... Uh, were open so yeah the spectator comfort is is like a small part of it but it would be amazing to not to you know to watch motorsport and not just be completely you know at the the mercy of the elements scott but the cat has completely leaped onto the desk this is chaos oh my goodness so i mean squeaks so look stuff stuffy can relate to this because uh his cat has turned off his sim steering wheel uh during live streams before and what was yeah, hilarious she, about that, Scott, was that you were in VR, so you had no idea what was happening and why. I f- completely freaked out, and it was only once watching the video back, but I knew that she'd uh, <laughs> yeah, lent on the mouse. So, yeah, don't worry. I, I totally feel with you there, Christina. Um, Is your cat called Squeaks, I- by the way? Did you just say your cat's called Squeaks? Yes, that is Squeaks McGee. Um, he came with the name. I can't take credit. Right, okay. But... He's vocal. He's a chatty boy. Whether he's happy or sad, he cries sometimes just to be manipulative. It's um, We get it. We're cat people He's fine. Here. He's just dramatic. Yeah. Every member of the Miss Apex panel now has a cat. I think every member of the panel except Christian Pedersen. So, uh, but he, to be fair, he eats, you know, raw deer in the forest. Stuffy, uh, I believe we're talking about indoor stadiums. Um, yes. I, so my... You was talking about, well, Christina made a good point about removing the weather um, and that variable. But my experience is indoor karting. Yes. And you tap every indoor go-kart track I've ever been to has a bridge, has a gimmicky Mickey Mouse bridge 
that surely if it, if this was to be a thing, and I'm imagining it being freshly built somewhere in the Middle East because they're the only ones who would be able to build an indoor F1 like track um, to this yeah. scale, is they'd have to chuck in like a jump or something. It's just I, I I don't know. I don't I don't ever see it kind of happening. Multi level, multi level. One thing. I think you'd, emissions is something you'd have to struggle. Uh, you'd probably struggle with with these cars. Yes, they are a lot more economical than they've ever been. But it's um, yeah, it's not something I think <laughs> I can see happening. And and okay. go, indoor go karting is never as good as outdoor go karting. And that's no, but that's all, that's often to do with the lack of space and to do with the track surface, Matt. Yeah, it's the surface. Yeah, isn't you're it? getting oh, yeah. you're getting into what I want to talk about. Track Go on service. Then. From a theoretical point of view, yeah, of course it's possible. It's 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 a large area of ground to cover, so to speak. But yeah, it's entirely possible to build a track and then cover it. And you know, certainly here in the states, uh, I don't know about over there. Certainly here in the states, we have multiple sports arenas with with coverage that retract, so that you can have it open if the weather's good and close it if the weather's bad, which spectators would obviously also appreciate. Is it a good idea for the sport? Well, yeah, I don't know. It's a novelty. It'd be kind of fun, but it, there's something about being, having to take the randomness of the weather into account yeah. that I would miss if that became a, a real model going forward. Mm. So, okay. I mean, you could just have, you know, it doesn't have to all be in a big warehouse. I don't think anyone's saying let's have, let's have the, you know, the British Grand Prix in unit 13 of the Springfield warehouse complex in Braintree. No one's really suggesting that, but you know, you, you can do things to manipulate the conditions. And I, I, I get a little bit funny about being people being precious about Bernie's sprinkler idea, which is that you know, you could have every track fitted with sprinklers. So Paul Ricard has sprinklers. You can do that. And people say, well, it's artificial and gimmicky. Well, do you know what else is artificial and gimmicky? Massive wings bolted onto... All sports. Yeah. It's like all sports are completely made up. <laughs> like every sport is made up. Like even per tank is made up. That per tank could be with... Um, are you sure that's how it's pronounced? Patanke. Patanke. I don't know. I just be. thought I would put that bug in your head and mess with you. I just recently played Patanke against the kids at Walton on Nays and I beat them all. I beat the kids and I'm the champion of my family in Patanke. But that could be tennis balls on concrete. It doesn't have to be, you know, big metal balls on uh, on sand. We, our family version of Patanke is called Rusty Patanke because I left them in the, the shed for too long and I they're like rusty that. now. Uh, the first time I ever heard sprinklers mentioned was actually Murray Walker ahead of when I first have seen Bernie quoted about it in the 99 European Grand Prix. And that is a point that I wanted to make to prove that I do watch occasionally okay. things almost as old as me. Fair enough. But look, the point is we can do anything we want with motorsport. If, if you put me in charge of motorsport, yeah, you can, you know, it's just money, isn't it? You could just go, right, we could have, we could have under track heating which dries the track really quickly. You could, have, uh, you could have a kind of track surface where water drains away. You could have track surface where there's a big difference between the drainage properties and the top level of the tarmac, like you have on motorways. So, you know, motorways are designed to drain away the, the water to the side, but also they're designed that you can have an amount of water in them, and yet the top layer of the tarmac still has contact with tyres. 
So you could do that. You could manipulate the track surfaces to make sure that wet weather conditions are, are never a factor in Formula One. Or you could ma- manipulate it to have wet weather conditions be like really a, a big factor or, or to, to manipulate it so that you have sprinklers. Here's the thing, Christina, is we're not actually constrained. <laughs> we're not constrained, Sprinkles McGee, are we, at all, by, by the elements. We can do whatever we want. It's true. And I'm having this vision in my head right now of, do you guys remember the Hunger Games movies and how their arenas were just like absolutely ridiculous each and every year? They had all the different conditions and they could be like, "Mm, guess what? Rainstorm. Mm, Guess what? Drought. (laughs) Mm, Guess what? You're going to be attacked by this Mm. crazy creature that is actually made up of the souls of your previous competitors or whatever that twist at the end of the first one was. Spoiler alert if you haven't read those books, but like at this point, (laughs) whatever. Oh, Christina, Um, I don't read. Uh, But you have brought me on to a very important question. Which driver would win the Hunger Games? So if you, if we're, we're teaming up in districts now. So I think District Haas would have the best chance. Absolutely the most boss lineup in the F1 Hunger Games has to be Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg. Which driver pairing is legitimately taking those two on in a, a battle of survival to the death? Oh. I, I was going to say, I generally think Lewis Hamilton could probably take you think so? most, most pairs on their own. He's an extreme sports guy. He does loads of stuff in his spare time, but he's, he's a proper extreme guy. I'm not sure about George. Um, I think George would be too much too cared. He about, looks like um, he breaks easy. I think he'd be too cared about how his hair looks, to be perfectly honest. And and Lewis would probably just leave him to die at some point. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, because he does extreme sports. Um, Valtteri Bottas has got the endurance. He does Ooh, triathlon. Bottas, very... Bottas and Joe. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Finns don't don't mess with the Finns. They uh, they come from harsh conditions. Matt, I'd also uh, but, be worried about Logan yeah. and Albon because they're both quite they're rangy, aren't they? Yeah. If it gets into uh, MMA, close quarters scrap. I would honestly watch out for Max. I'm pretty sure he does a fair amount of um, combat sports training as part of his regular training. And here I will refrain from making any jokes about Sergio Perez because I am old and know better. Oh yeah, it's a good point. You don't want to get you don't want to get cancelled, Matt. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, uh, email us with uh, with your feedback. Who do you think would win in a Hunger Games style contest uh, with the teams if they were split up into team districts? Okay, here's a, a interesting ish question about yeah ish. Dave in Leeds, 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 Leeds. I assume you're a Leeds United fan. After seeing more teams in special liveries in Italy, it got me thinking about the cost. Of production are these paint jobs, race suits, team equipment, clothing, and newly manufactured parts considered under the cost caps? The cars do look a little different for one race, but I don't really see the point to it further than advertising. Thanks for all the content. Well, you're welcome, Dave. But I that is an interesting one, Christina. When we talk about saving tire blankets, saving the carbon footprint, less tires, it, it can't be carve you know that efficient to be constantly making new liveries new paint jobs um so all that effort is it is it worth it does it add anything to the sport i think it does i mean you look at social media and how excited people get about the special liveries or how many memes come out of it like two for two at least in recent years ferrari have given us the minion memes and the mcdonald's ones (laughs) so even if it's just from humor and a fun standpoint yes it gives a lot but if you also look over at somewhere like IndyCar, they switch their liveries on a weekly basis because 
it's what their sponsorship requires. And obviously, you don't necessarily need that in Formula One because they have much more, they have season-long sponsors. But sometimes they also have to change it because of someone like Velo, which McLaren has, and they have to change it due to regulations. So at the end of the day, them switching up their liveries, it's just a part of the sport. And it is a sense of excitement. Like, People like seeing different liveries. And even if it's just fan service of celebrating how many years or their home race, that is a good thing. You want to connect with your fans. You want them. Look at look at um, Williams doing the vote for what special livery do you want mm. to see at Singapore. I think it is worth it, even if it is an extra cost. And some teams will also have partnerships with the brands that are doing all of these different services, their race suits, things like that. So it might not necessarily be a cost question for a lot of the teams. So there was a, there was one big shame where uh, Mercedes, I think for the Austrian Grand Prix, they all got dressed up in Lederhosen and, you know, did all yeah. that traditional, you know, Bavarian, you know, dress. And then they didn't do well that weekend. So I think Toto Wolf threw his prams out the, the toys out the pram saying, oh, we didn't do very well that weekend. And it was all down to the silliness of the costumes. We're never going to do anything interesting or exciting. And I think didn't Silverstone, didn't they do some kind of like... You know, like they dress in like forties, in like forties stuff, kind of, yeah, or thirties or whatever. Yeah. It was some kind of anniversary, but uh, yeah. So, like, will be- Matt, the the delay is is killing us. You go. It's killing us. No, know, after sorry. you, after I, you. No, I, you hang up. I, I was going to just briefly add, since the question came up, all marketing activities are actually excluded costs under the financial regulations. There you go. So, so any of that stuff wouldn't be counting against the cost gap. Well, well, there you go. So that's the boring answer to that, Stuffy. But is there how much room is there for fun in a serious competition? So much room. Um, <laughs> I was going to make the example of uh, driver's helmets. Do you remember uh, a few years ago, they, the FIA brought in the rule, you are not allowed to change your helmet design. You're supposed to have one helmet design throughout the season it was supposed to be for the fans uh, because we can dif- we can then differentiate who is what driver by knowing mm. what their regular helmet is but the drivers kicked up a massive fuss over it it was the one thing they probably all came in unison under and, and went no we we love being able to change our driver helmets i hate uh, it week in week out or um like when it's my home grand prix have a special helmet i I really enjoy that. I really enjoy seeing them post the different ones, like Lando posting the one year it was the basketball at Miami and then it was the beach volleyball. And they have some real fun ones. And they, they have, have some had some fun ones. And Lando cool ones. Norris, didn't he have one designed by a five-year-old as well, which was very yes, cute. Yeah. And like, okay, I get that. I'm not saying there isn't an appeal to it, but I also dislike it because a driver's helmet is their identity. So like uh, Damon Hill, with the black helmet, with the, the the dashes in a circle on the top of his head, instantly, instantly recognisable. Senna and and Hamilton in in the in the yellow lids, and you go, oh, that's you know that's definitely Senna, that's Hamilton. And then even when he went to that purple helmet, I think if you know if they pick the helmet for the season and go with it, like I love that. But I grew up in an era where drivers were very much identifiable by their colours, and it was you know it's very similar along the lines of. You know the the barbarians in in rugby union. Is it rugby union with the barbarians where it's an invitational team, but they wear the socks of their their home team, and there's an identity to to kit. So whilst it's really good that they have a basketball helmet, who was that? Was that Daniel Ricciardo? 
Baseball Lando. one, right? Was it Lando as well, was it? So, yeah, super, super cool. Who had the beach ball? Was that Lando Norris Lando as well? Lando as well. Blimey. Miami. He, he's on fire with this. They're great. <laughs> but I, something in me says, like, I wish people just had their their colours. It's like their flag. Just a ball. Oh, just I'm a boy. So get with a get with a time like Um There should yeah, also be a rule that drivers how, in a team have to have distinctly different helmet covers and different coloured gloves, if at all possible. Yeah, Mercedes did that for yeah, a, free did. with Nico yes. and Lewis, didn't they? You yeah. could distinctively tell instantly who was who was Lewis and Nico because of mm. the white and the turquoise gloves or black or whatever. So yeah. No, I, I agree with that. But the helmets, I think it's pretty cool. It's it's fun to see them um alter every now and then and see what they're going to have special ones. We've got a question from Kelly Stefan. Been listening to your podcast since the beginning of this season and have been getting into F1 for the last few years. Uh, so many things are still new to me. Well, there's no gatekeeping here. Don't worry. Uh, when Matt launches off into one about tech regulations, I do try to bring it back down to, hey, is that the flappy bit or the kind of sideways squiggly bit along the edge? And I think I do a reasonable job uh, at least priming us to understand the things that Matt and Summers say. So uh, Kelly says, I've been looking for a while, but without success for materials or media where I could learn about the different circuits and the type of driving they require, like the speed of the corners, opportunity for overtakes, etc. Also wondering about the counter to this, uh, like the constructors' cars, are they better or worse at different tracks? So are they track dependent? Is there any suggestions for places to find this information? Well... You're lucky. We've got the two perfect people on the panel for completely different reasons to to get good information here. So, Christina, you've done a lot of stuff on your TikTok channel, basically in being an intermediary to, is it fair to say, the DTS generation of F1 fans? And you break things down on a much more entry and accessible level. I'm not saying like Christina's <laughs> super dumb, dumb F1. I'm saying it's accessible and deliberately so. Yes, the whole goal is to not use engineering and science specific language, because I think that that's the biggest barrier is that the moment you learn those special words that you use in motorsports or just in any specialized industry, it makes it inaccessible for people who are just learning about it. So you have that period where you're just figuring out a new vocabulary. Uh, so in my case, I do a series called The Bullet, and it's intro videos of like three minutes ish for each track that we race at every single weekend. It comes ah. out the Wednesday before race weekends. Um, shameless plug. No, no, that's but, I was setting you up for that. <laughs> perfect. Um, but a lot of what I learn as far as that goes is, A, from watching old races, and especially those first couple of minutes where they're talking about the track before it gets started. But also, all of the teams, they put out pre-race summaries for the most part. And most of them are really easy to find. They have them linked on the homepage of their team website, or they post about it in their Instagram stories. So once you figure out which mm. team you like their information or their feedback the best, you can really just go to their websites and get a pretty good idea about what the track is going to be doing. And yes, we know you like Feed that, that cat. My goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. About yeah. what the track but, is going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> he, but at the end of the day, yes, you can look to other creators and or myself, and you can also just look to the teams because they'll also say in these summaries, this is what I'm worried about when it comes to our car. These are our right. concerns. These are our That's strengths. Good. This is what we're expecting for our weekend itself. 
And thankfully, right now, there are only 10 teams. And so that's not actually a lot of reading. <laughs> well, there you go. So the first thing you do is go and follow at Christina F1 on TikTok. Is there ats on TikTok? It's not, is it? Yes, at Christina.FastCars. Ah, uh, okay. And no H in Christina Diversify. as well. But don't worry, Correct. we're going to have a link to your TikTok in the show notes below. So go and follow Christina there. And that is a really good entry-level way to find that information out on a race weekend. The other person who is very, very useful to you is Scott Stuffy Tuffy. Because, as we say here on Missed Apex Podcast, the number one way to learn these tracks is to get out there and either, you know, in general in racing, go go karting, go to an indoor kart, turn a wheel, understand what it's like to send it up the inside of someone and and then have them yell at you for, for doing that. Um, but what you do, streaming a lot of single-seater stuff, F3, uh, more recently Super Formula, our series with the Renault 3.5, um, and actually going out and driving around those tracks on a sim on a console game like it's hard to get to people to, to get across to people who don't do that how much it enhances your grand prix weekend to have driven suzuka yes yeah we we're very fortunate the the sim that i race predominantly on is is called iRacing, and mercedes actually have a partnership with iRacing that they gave the real world data from their last two f1 cars w13 and yes. w12 to iRacing. So we've been very fortunate to drive as close as possible the the F1, the Mercedes F1 car for the past two years uh, without actually driving the real thing. So it's given a real perspective personally in regards to how these different cars from a ground effect era and the previous era in, in how they perform at certain circuits. Of course, there's all setups and all the technicalities that go behind these cars, but you get the basics of what they've got to struggle with, um, and and what they've got to keep an eye out on. Um, now, in relation to uh, Kelly's question, Kelly's question originally, where would she find that out from? I think a couple of great teams to follow on YouTube at the moment are Mercedes and um, Williams, mainly because James Vowles has just come over from Mercedes, and they do very good debriefs after the race. They in do, yeah, Vowles does, yeah. What what they and and Vowles is obviously brought this over from Mercedes, but they do very good debriefs and they're very open and honest, which I'm quite surprised about, to be honest, because everyone is so in-house and so secretive. They're very open and honest in regards to their struggles and and what worked well for them and what didn't. And that they they do seem to read what happens on social media and answer those questions as well, that the, the budding questions that people have about when they should have pitted Lewis or why did they not pit George or Lewis at this certain moment and Alex and and so forth. So there's two of the teams. I'm not sure any other team kind of does that. McLaren send out emails. I'm subscribed to them and they send out debriefed emails. So most of the teams now, if you sign up to their, like you log in and sign up to emails, they'll, um, they'll send you mostly their merch reminder to buy their merch, but <laughs> after race weekends, buy stuff. Yeah. And, and before even it's, it's what, as Christina says, what are we looking? What are the track struggles? What are we looking for? How are we little tidbits in how they may set up the car? And then also their struggles afterwards. But yeah, sim racing is the next best thing to actually getting out of there in real life yeah. and um, experiencing what some of these guys go through. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be like a top end sim like like iRacing. You know, you pick up a, the F1 game from five years ago on Xbox Game Pass and you'll still just get that same experience of knowing where the corners go. So kind of 
you know, knowing that because it can all get a bit samey watching the Singapore Grand Prix. They go through that start section and and then you and then it feels like very samey kind of walls. But if you if you get a sense for where the track is is going, and I'm sure Matt will tell us in a minute, the track is going in a very different direction this year. Um, it makes it so much easier to follow the race. And because otherwise you just see two cars side by side and you go, oh, there's going to be an, the commentator says there might be an overtake here. You've got no idea what's happening unless you're primed to know those corners. So I would say at the very least, watch Friday practice to practice knowing the track layout. And if you can't go on iRacing, if you can't play the games, at least then just find some onboards and just sit on an onboard of the circuit and familiarize yourself with the turns. And it just makes the story much, much easier to follow. Matt. Oh, sorry, Christina. They also have a free downloadable version of F123, I think it is, for mobile. So, oh, is it? Get to tilt your phone and drive. Really? No way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I might, I might do that now while Matt gives his answer because it's going to be long. So I'm going to do that now. Everyone do that now while Matt is saying his thing. Uh, well, I was actually going to latch onto the request for corner speed and tell you that Mercedes has done a full set of maps with sort of what they call minimum corner speed. And you can find them. Most of the ones I found just through Googling track corner speed. And then usually they're on Reddit somewhere just as an image. So if you just want to know how fast the corners are, that is a great resource to go to. Another little utilized resource is to go to the actual FIA.com site, go to the event timing information, look for media and the race guide. And there'll be lots of history and explanations of the track and talk about the corners and where things, famous things in the past happened that can kind of clue you in to where the action is going to be. And last and quickly, is that indeed, um, although this is old news, Singapore has done a Control-Alt-Delete of turns 16 through 18, and it's going to have a significant impact on the lap time. And happily enough for those of us watching, the race time as well. And so you'll probably hear a lot about that in the coming week from places like motorsport.com and the race, either one of which is not a bad place, aside from FormulaOne.com itself, to get basic information about the race you're about to watch. I'm quite surprised, Matt, you didn't mention your favorite Twitter page either, Pirelli Motorsport. Pirelli Motorsport are also one that they are my go-to before a race weekend because they post out information in regards to their predicted strategies for the weekend what is the best, what is the alternative, what is the outsider, how many tyres and um, the teams have got fresh um, for the race weekend and just a bundle of information um, that, of course, is evolved, revolved around tyres but is very relevant, of course, to the race itself. So definitely follow uh, their Twitter page on, on um, yeah, well, X it's now called, isn't it? But, yeah. It's Twitter. Ah, we'll we'll see how that schism works out. It doesn't uh, doesn't affect the garbage I put out. But you should follow all our X or Twitter accounts and all our social media accounts will be posted in the show notes below. I'm going to end with uh, one final question from Matt McHenry, and Matt says I would combine two things: uh, Spanners hates for a better format. Oh, I would combine two things: Spanners hates to have a better format. Uh, sprint races 
with balance of performance. So yes, you're right, Matt. I don't like the sprint races because I think it dilutes the weekend. And I do find myself over the course of a race weekend kind of losing, losing, not losing interest, but I have to pick and choose which bits I get emotionally invested in. Balance of performance. I don't object to in principle, but I, I know why F1 would object to it. Okay, so Matt says, have a separate driver's cup with sprint races on a Friday where we add balance to each car to make them equal based on lap time in prior real races everybody gets what they want fom makes more money fans at the track have more action which is the idea of the sprint races and drivers can prove their skill independently of the car the grumpy can then ignore it do you mean me matt do you mean me the grumpy the grumpy can ignore it completely since it awards no championship points and the teams have no real incentive to sandbag with no points the downside is the fi needs to figure out how to calculate ballast yes it's not a very small downside that um here's the problem christina f1 doesn't really want us to know how all the drivers would do in equal machinery yeah and i'm okay with that quite frankly i i kind of hate the i'm tired of the argument quite frankly of yeah. like oh who's the better driver and oh it's the car and it's like yeah that's the point <laughs> yes is that it's the driver and the car imagine that they both have an impact and look if you want to watch a series where there's a balance of performance there's so many choices even just in single seater, that you can go and watch. You can go watch F2 or F3 or IndyCar, which IndyCar is, you know, sort of balanced of performance, but isn't that, not that's really. more of a spec uh, spec series, isn't it? Spec. So yeah, 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 yeah. People will argue about that, but at the end of the day, you have options if that is what you want. You go to Formula One, and what makes Formula One unique and special is that it's a constructors' championship. It's just as much about building the car. If you want to have sprint races where it's like build a completely different car to a different spec then it's a completely different conversation (laughs) which is a completely different cost thing and can of worms that if money was no object and pollution was no object i would say yeah that's fun Mm. make them drive on different vehicles every once in a while but i'm fine with sprint races the way they are i think six is a decent number i worry about them what a quarter of the time at this point Mm -hmm. i think if it was any more i would care more but at this point i'm like a couple weekends out of the year i watch an extra race whatever this is fine i yeah. have no no strong feelings about sprint races now, right now, now I think that i've very been mid. yeah now that i've been oh mid nice yeah nice mm-hmm. nice new young people term so now that i've been sort of conditioned to the sprint races they're they're fine like they're no more yeah. than than fine they're becoming less abhorrent to me and scott can say why they're still abhorrent if he wants in a moment <laughs> uh but uh, yeah so we must be careful with our terminology so uh, yeah, a, a spec series is where on paper all the cars are are the same. They have to use the same parts. But for anyone who's done rental karting, you'll know that you know the carts vary wildly, and that is with the best intentions. Just out of manufacturing, one engine will have a little bit more performance. One chassis will have a little bit of uh, imperfection over over another. So it's really, really even in a spec series, you're going to get. For example, I know of a series where you're limited. On the chassis you can build, uh, you can you can purchase, it has to be of a certain age, but there's no limit on the uh, maintenance parts. So you can effectively fill the entire chassis with these brand new maintenance parts, and it's like Trigger's broom, if you've watched for Only Fools and Horses. You go, yeah, you've got to have a really old broom, but you can replace the handle, and then you can replace the head, uh, and it still counts as you know an old broom. So even in a spec series, it's really hard to police things being the same balance of performance is where you've got a bit more freedom 
to develop your car. But if you do well in a, a series or you're the champion or you win a race, they can add, then add lead weights to your to your car or something to, to then bring down the speed. So the, the thing is, F1 isn't like that. But, Matt, it has been sold to a, a new generation of F1 fans as it being a Drive the Series. So in Drive to Survive, yeah, there's some engineering stuff in there and Christian Horner's camping with, with Jerry and all that stuff. But really it is driver, driver, driver. Who's the star? Driver, driver. And then it's a bit disappointing then to find out that really you can only compare it the driver to one other driver and you can only actually do that in about half the team's where they have truly equal status. Yeah, and this is the thing. The driver matters, and the driver can matter a lot. But yeah, like 95% of it is really just the car. And that's an easy thought experiment. Think of one other driver that could win as, that could win like Max is winning right now if they had that dominant a car. Could you think of one? And, and okay, you'd have to be, car. yeah, you'd have to be number one driver as well in that situation too. Yeah, um, but, but you get my point. You could take, Alonzo, you could take Hamilton, get rid of Max, put them in that Red Bull, and they'd be winning a championship with it. And it, that, I don't even think that's a very controversial thing to say, quite honestly, because really the engineering in the car is so very, very important. Thankfully for you, I figured out how to make this work. Nice. And the problem All right. is, well, Matt, thanks you. you. You just need to be American enough. All right, I'm so trying. The balance of performance is fuel flow which is how a lot of times they it's either weight or fuel flow that right. they, they will use to restrict the engine. And that's easy because you have the Formula One drivers do qualifying. So you have a pretty actually authentic number to work with. So you just restrict the fuel flow. So they're all faster. But here's the twist. This is where I'm genius. Here's the twist. The Formula One drivers don't do the sprint. The junior drivers do the sprint. But the Formula One driver has to start the car the next day in whatever condition it finishes the race in. <laughs> so from the wall. Think about <laughs> it. That's genius. But look, this is the thing, Stuffy. We're fixing <laughs> something that you looked very, very unenthusiastic and sad about when we mentioned it, the sprint races. Have you not been indoctrinated yet? Did we, you were told. No. Scott, you were told. You are bored on a Friday and you are bored on a Saturday. You do not like FP3. You needed another race. You've got it. Why are you being so ungrateful? I'm not bored on a Saturday. I never used to be bored on a Saturday <laughs> because I had qualifying to watch. And then I had my football to watch in the afternoon. Now, and I get it's great for people across the world, but I'm being a selfish European right now. All right. Having qualifying while I'm still at work on a Friday afternoon, because I'm unfortunate enough to go to the pub early on a Friday afternoon at work and seeing that qualifying has started and miss all of it before I've even got home (laughs) is frustrating. And then to not care about what happened Saturday, because it's meaningless to be perfectly honest with you. And then only have Sunday for the racing um, is, is so frustrating. And I know I'm being very like as any as christian said there's only six races to worry about this a year but what's to stop them adding more like you know they probably want to add more just like they do with the amount of races per year they want to maximize their products and they want there to be an entertaining factor to their products every single race weekend for every day but for me it's just i get having a little tester to see if it works but for me personally it hasn't worked People still don't understand. People are calling for the sprint 
championship to be its own thing. Like, no, why are you trying to detract away <laughs> from what everyone cares about in the first place, which is the main championship, the constructors and the drivers championship. It's even now like Max has won the championship. He won it two races into the season and people, uh, people, I, I've seen people defending the season this year going, well, there's uh, been great racing behind uh, the, the winner. Well, no, a lot of people only care about the league and and who wins overall. They don't care about who's fighting for fifth or sixth or whatever. As, as good as the racing is for us purists, mm. the general fan only cares about the headlines. Little rant there, guys. No, no, so, that's yeah. fine. And look, uh, those th- that is very topical uh, because, Matt, we got some insight from FOM from Liberty Media because... I've been ranting, haven't I, about how this is a deliberate media push to make yeah. us all appreciate the records that we're watching. And who's this? Who's this? Maffy? Who's Maffy? It, it's uh, Greg Maff- Maffy. Maffy. Yeah. Sort of gave Not the sure game how he away. Pronounces it. Sort of gave yeah, the game was, away, uh... didn't he, by saying Stefano Domenicali is rightly trying to pivot and say, come and watch this historic event. You've never seen success like this and you don't want to miss it. Uh, and we'll see if that works. So he's given the game away because we were suspecting that there was this, uh, not suspecting, it's so obvious. There's a deliberate media push to say exactly the same message that Dominicali is trying to put out. Um, I, I even saw one journalist who I respect a lot and it was a, it felt like a gun to the head article. So it was an article that said, oh, uh, my view on Verstappen dominance. And the article basically said, I, it's fine, I guess. It's happened before, and he basically had written this article saying, I have no strong views on this one way or the other, but it's fine. Like, there's no reason to have written that article unless there was a big kind of push to the accredited media saying, please write an article that it's not terrible that Verstappen is is dominating right now. And uh, and this fella, uh, Maffei, Matt, has just sort of, he, he's given the game away. You're not, you're not, you're not meant, he's said the quiet bit out loud. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is for an investors conference in Goldman Sachs, I believe. Okay. And and like, it was actually, it's really hilarious. He basically said, well, yeah, you know, it's very attractive other than we have Max and like short of like pulling a Tanya Harding (gasps) and breaking his leg. There's not really a lot we can do about that. Yeah. But, um, but, but aside from that, overall, the sport is doing well. The numbers, there is growth. In fact, he said, I think like three of the top four Mm, viewed races have been this season yes but that's earlier in the season and and what he then went on to say that i think is is interesting given the makeup of our panel is that given how much they've grown instagram youtube and tiktok the amount of interest is much greater than double digits growth so he's convinced that even with max doing this and to be fair, he said, we'll see if Stefano succeeds in this. It's not like <laughs> he's like, we'll see how that goes. But but they they are taking the view of we are in charge of the overall, you know, uh, generating the excitement. And, and we'll just continue to do what we've been I, doing because it's been, yeah. can't mm. argue with, incredibly successful. I, I wish they would be more honest. And uh, so I, I feel like we're being taken for fools when we're being told you should be enjoying the dominance and you should be 
watching these records rack up. Like that is the thing. That's a curiosity to see all these these records rack up. That that's fine. But obviously, we all wish there was more competition at the front. So I think we can be honest about that and go right. This is one of those phases in F one where someone's dominating. But let's focus on the positives. I I dislike this this push to kind of say no. You're enjoying someone being dominant up at the front and. And that that's actually, that's a great thing. That's what I object to, Matt. That... And that's fair. I, I agree with you. But I think the point they're trying to sell you on here, and if you think back to like, I'm going to use baseball, as the more he wins, the more Red Bull wins, the more improbability accrues. It's very unlikely to have that kind of dominance not interrupted by something at some point. So, yeah, you may tune in and see Max, you know, 30 seconds off the front, not bothered by anybody until he drives in, until a bird winds up in his side pod and his engine overheats. And this is a uh, Checo had a bad qualifying. And suddenly you're like, will Red Bull make it? <laughs> you know, I, I, th- I think they're trying mm-hmm. to they're trying to sell you on. And, and the other thing, and, and I, I, I think this is it, too, is, well, when are you ever going to see this again? Because I don't, I, I think yeah. it's unlikely. Scott. Yeah, I, I mean, in the, the day, Liberty are just trying to protect their their, their products. They they know that oh, we've just had 2021. We've had this uptick in viewership and closest championship fight ever. And then two years later, we're having the most dominant season in F1 we're probably ever going to see. And personally, I don't think dominance is a bad thing, but it's the manner in which dominance occurs. I don't care if Max wins every single race in a year, as long as he has a yeah, teammate fight, to yeah. fight. He has another team to fight. Yeah. Like, we have something to to chat about rather than him lining up anywhere on the grid and still expecting him to to win the race. That's a compliment to him and the Red Bull car. Yeah. But it's never, neither here or there. We want we want champ. But at the end of the day, there are sportsmen in other sports who have dominated their who've dominated in their careers, but there are battles and matches that they've had throughout their career that we look back on and we go, God, do you remember that match between yeah. Nadal and Federer as an example, or, or like when Tiger Woods like hold that, that chip in that night and he went to a play. Like, these sort of things. And of course, the only narrative they can push now to keep people interested is, well, we need you to, to cheer for Max to, to break these records you mm. want him to to win every. You want yeah. him to win every yeah. race between now and Abu Dhabi. I've seen people tweet say, "Well, if he does win every race, or Red Bull does win every race to the last championship, uh, sorry, every race to Abu Dhabi, will you be sitting there cheering for them, or will you be against?" Oh, them? I hope you he makes it. I hope he makes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. what? This is just the narrative yeah. is being pushed. We as race fans want to see racing and someone driving off into the distance, winning by 30, 40 seconds. Or winning a race wherever they start on the grid isn't like no. enjoyable. So, so when we look back at like periods of domination like this, where there was an inevitability, you look at like some of the Schumacher seasons where he could just go off and you know win by by a lap. Um, Twenty thirteen, Sebastian Vettel, and actually in my head as you were talking, I was thinking Lewis Hamilton twenty twenty. But I looked back at the race results for twenty twenty, and okay, just very quickly, it's Bottas, Hamilton, 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 Verstappen. Hamilton, Hamilton, Gasly, Hamilton, Bottas, Hamilton, 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 Perez, Verstappen. So it, there, were, there was, I felt in that season, even if he didn't out-qualify Bottas, there was an inevitability that he was going to get ahead. 
But this is another, you know, it's another step above it. So personally, I don't have any truck in those records. And if he was making those records, like you say, like crossing the line on the, the last lap, having to do a last ditch attempt to, to get that win, it might have a bit more sway. Uh, but yeah, I just wish F1 would, would concentrate on the battle beforehand and not try to pretend that this is a, a feature, not a bug. I think the the key is they would never choose to have a season like this. I think that's that's probably the giveaway. Thank you for joining us on Missed Apex for a new show. We appreciate your feedback. Feedback at MissedApex.net. And we appreciate your support. Patreon.com forward slash Apex. See if being a patron of Missed Apex is for you. And hopefully we can provide you with some value with a ad-free feed, some extra content before the race. And uh, we have a nice Slack forum to chat with. It's a very nice place to talk about F1 and to chat along with during the races as well. So look in our show notes below for all of that information and follow our panel. Go and follow Christina on TikTok. Christina, what's that handle again? Because I got it wrong last time. As she struggles to... That cat is a liability. Uh, We will sort this out for the next show. Um, no, I'm no, we won't. That cat's a f- fast cars. <laughs> there we go. And uh, oh, you're on Instagram as well because you you try and attend a lot of races yes. there in the um, in the in the Arctic Circle. Yes. Oh my goodness. We try to attend many races. <laughs> we leave him at home for those. Right. Uh, but Instagram, I'm at Christina Lee Mace. But I have a link tree, so it's all right there, and you don't even have to think about there it. There we go. Give us the <laughs> give us the link to your link tree, and we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, Scott, people should watch your sim racing. You are one of the calmest sim racers out there. In that you can get absolutely wiped out, and you'll just go, "Oh no, my entire day's been ruined by this race." Oh well, let's do the next one. Yes, well, you, you'll be glad to know, and I'll send you them. I, I did lose my temper. Oh, did a, you? A little, oh, I want to see. Wa- I yes. see. Mainly because it was my own fault, and I have no one else to blame. I'm my harshest, harshest critic when it comes to sports, and um, yeah, it's, it's nothing more painful than having no one else to blame but yourself. Uh, but yeah, no, follow me over at uh, Stuffy, S-T-U-F-F-E, the Y, and yeah, all sim racing and F1, watch along content. Yeah, so much as Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome, would have said, as, you know, fear not about the the result. Did you act in a honourable and worthy way? And that's the only way by which you can judge how you should emotionally react to an outcome. Uh, If you mean by slapping myself around the face, (laughs) then yes. That's actually the next Marcus Aurelius quote that I was about to to give. So yeah, we're, we're on the same wavelength, you and I. And, and Matt Trumpets at Matt PT fifty five and Matt Trumpets on uh, Facebook as well. So you should go and follow Matt there too. And your wife sells books of a romantic nature, and you can buy those. We'll we'll link to those. It's at A Weaver Writes. She is a, an author. She writes romantic novels. And you have to think that a lot of her romantic novels are inspired by her liaisons with Matt Trumpets. So in a way, all her romantic novels are Matt Trumpets' romantic fan fiction. I don't know if that's a if, selling... Is that a plus or a minus? I don't if know. If it makes you more inclined to buy them, feel free to think that. It does me. There's links in the show notes below. And obviously, follow me. My links are there. At Spanners Ready on Twitter. Richard Ready on Facebook. Please do follow Missed Apex at Missed Apex F1. We've got Joe Saywood coming and joining us on Tuesday. We've got our race review with Dan at Engine Moaned 11. So Dan Jury from the Engine Breaking Pod is joining us. That's right, Matt. Did, you, did I not tell you? 
for a race review. No, you did not tell us me for that. a race review. There fun. you go. Uh, and we might be doing a home and home and visiting their podcast as well. And Antonio Rankin will also be here on Sunday as well. And then we're looking at getting Matthew Carter returning to the podcast on the Tuesday after that. And then, of course, it's the Japanese Grand Prix. So there's a lot to look forward to. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. And we're out of here. Thanks for joining us, guys. Goodbye. Good night. Good evening. Good day. Adios. Uh, au revoir. Guten Tag. Krankenhausen. Bibliotech. Bibliotech. <laughs> That's how we're going. We're going. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.